Well, I've got, um, I still, even after first service, I still have moving day jitters. I'm, uh, I, 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 all right, how many of you did, PB, did you already ask if everybody's moved in this room? I was a little late, so you guys have all done that. Um, we had a couple in the first service that say they've never moved, and so we had more in this service. Oh my goodness, you don't know what you're missing. The, the, the anxiousness as to whether or not your friends are going to show up. The, um, the four-hour hassle back and forth with U-Haul because they gave you the wrong truck. They gave you the two-room apartment one instead of the five-bedroom one and all that kind of stuff. I've had some real moving experiences, and uh, they uh, get more and more complicated the more children you have and the more rooms you have to pack. And so every little complication is just magnified. And so when I get around moving day, I get kind of worked up and nervous. And that, I think that even applies to the moves that we look forward to because some moves are the ones we don't want, right? You gotta, you know, you have till, you know, 30 days to get out of your apartment or something like that. That's the, that's the move you don't want. And then there are the ones that you do want. You found your dream home or there's an opportunity in the next town and you're taking it or something like that. And even those good moves have all this anxiety wrapped up in it. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if we can afford this. And then there's those sleepless nights and everything. And so I feel very um, similar to those uh, anxieties this morning. The, the staff and the leadership, we've all been praying about this day for many months. We've been planning and preparing for this and stuff. And so this wasn't just a last minute, let's throw some things out there and let's go get the biggest U-Haul truck you can find from the rental place and all that stuff. We've been thinking about this for a while. And the staff and the leadership's put so much prayer and effort and time into this that I feel this responsibility that I better explain this well. So there's a little bit of pressure on me. I want you all to pray for me this morning. I feel badly for me. But, but seriously, how many of you are hoping I say we're moving out of this building? Raise your hands. How many of you say, I hope you're not saying we're moving out of this building? How many of you would say, I'm too tired, just get on with it already? I don't even know what you're talking about, because <laughs> I'm more with you there. Okay. All right. Very good. So let's get into this. What are we talking about this morning? Um, we uh, have come to the, ter- the determination that in order to be the church that we believe God's called us to be, this building can no longer contain this church. So we can no longer be the church that God has designed for us, that he's called us to in the next level that he's leading us to and still remain in this building. And so that is why we started to contemplate, do we stay here? It's a silly thing to evaluate, right? We're really close to kind of paying everything off. We've, we've just renovated children's spaces over in the corner. Uh, we're getting ready to have a, what we're going to call kind of a connection area, what we're going to name the hub. It's this thing in the front. We'll be able to gather and get to know one another. I was just um, freaking out that we're finally getting all these acoustic changes done in the room, and, it's, and it sounded great in here, by the way. You guys, I heard everybody singing and everything because now we can hear voices out there instead of just the ones coming through those tiny little speakers. I want to keep pointing out these are not all speakers, just those tiny. Anyway, I'm sensitive to that. But, uh, you know, we've done all of that and now we're talking about moving and talking about relocating. Well, that's a very uncomfortable topic. It's a nerve wracking topic. Moves are never convenient. They're never um, affordable. They're never reliable. In the words of Bilbo Baggins, adventures are nasty, uncomfortable things that make you late for dinner. And that's what we would be talking about in this move. They're nasty, uncomfortable things that are going to make us late 
for dinner. And so faith has a challenge. Faith has a challenge to be reminded as to who we are as a church because we've been very blessed to have a very noteworthy, a very um, uh, locatable, if you will, building here on KMD. The Lord was so gracious to us. Now, I came to this church to join the staff about a year and a half after we moved. I missed all the fun and the drama and all that other legwork and everything. I just got to come in here and help reap the benefits. But the Lord did something great in preparing this church to be here. And then once it became this location, the Lord is like, I'm not done. And he kept even doing greater things than that. Uh, and we're enjoying the stability and the size and all the things that we have as, uh, as, a, as a church together because of it. So the building, it's been great. It's been fun. We go around town. We get our haircuts, the pastors and all. And they go, oh, you're the church with the, with the uh, sign out there. We love those. Or you're the church with the sign. I'm writing you up in the letter to the editor because you offended me. You know, it goes either way. But um, people know us because, oh, yeah, the last time I stepped foot in this church, I was here to see a movie or I stuck to the floor because my girlfriend spilled the soda over there or something like that. It's a notable building that has a historical context and the people of this area, the generations of this area appreciate it for what it represents. Now, we're noticing, though, I'll tell you that we've been here. If you blink, we're going to be here in almost 20 years. That's kind of creepy. That makes me feel very old. My daughter just turned 20 today. I feel very, very old. So um, I'm, I'm just realizing, you know, we, we, we get less and less of those comments when we go out and get haircuts now. Oh, you're the movie theater church. Why? Because it hasn't been a movie theater for 20 years or however long. And so generations are coming up that aren't catching the context of what we find very special about this building. Um, we have been very blessed that our senior pastor has had opportunities in this uh, area for as long as he's been in Waterville, I believe. I don't have the timelines and stuff, but a uh, writer in the paper, on the radio and, and all those things. And so we've had person after person for decades come in and say, well, I thought I'd come check out Faith because that guy that's on the radio, I agree with what he has to say. So we've reaped the benefits of that kind of notoriety as well. And it's been great. and It's been a boost for our church. Now, the challenge that we have before us, though, is where does faith go from here? Do we continue to be comfortable with that which is safe, that which is secure, the things that are predictable? We, we really do, if I can use this phrase in church, and I don't mean this really in the way that it sounds, but we pride ourselves on being consistent here at faith. We don't like chasing every church gimmick that comes across the pike or some movement from out west. And then you've got to go chase this and you've got to do this. We really have believed for, for years and continue, will continue to believe that if we are just who God has called us to be with the personalities he's given us in the context that we live, he'll do all the other stuff. He's called us to be faithful to that. But the challenge for every church is to not get wrapped up in the identity of their building or of their leadership or of the opportunities that God has given to them in the past. But it's so easy for us to fall into that trap. We're people. We're human beings. We have flesh and blood. We, we gravitate towards the things that we can see, the things that we're familiar with, the, the smells that we recognize, the sights that we, that we recognize, the tastes that we remember, all of those things. We get locked into a trap of getting comfortable. Please don't rock my boat. Don't ask me to do something. I don't want to get up off my couch. I'm not ready to move yet. And if you would admit to that, it just in the silence, I'm with you because that's me. 
I get, I get these fantasies about doing the next thing or, or accomplishing the next goal or I, I kind of have all these like really driven thoughts. And then when it comes time to act, I'm like, what was I thinking? It requires so much work. It was comfortable sitting over there. That's who we are. That's how we are. And we believe that faith is being challenged to identify what it is that we are going to build on even for the future. Well, fortunately for us, we're not really thinking about changing a whole lot here because we believe that God has built this church on a faithful steadfastness of the word of God. We believe that the Bible is God's authoritative words and that we can live by them. We can drink them in. It will guide us in life. And we try to be as as accurate as we can in the delivery of our understanding of the word of God. We want to be faithful to it. We ask you guys to check us on it with the things that we're teaching. So it isn't, I got a word from the Lord and you just have to deal with it. We want to be faithful to the authority of the scriptures. We're always going to be there as long as the Lord is, 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 has his hand on this church. We will be faithful to the word of God. We love our time of worship together, and I'm speaking primarily of corporate worship at this time. He's, he's bringing up generations of worship leaders behind us and everything, but the thing that we continue to work for, look for even as we add to our worship team is it changes faces and voices and all that stuff and players and stuff is, are, are you committed to being authentic before the Lord? Are you doing it because your heart is for worship? Or are you looking to be American Idol Jr.? And so as we sniff that kind of thing out, the Lord has a tendency to just help us move away from that and and protects us from that. We want that to be a hallmark of faith. We want our worship to be genuine. We want our worship to be authentic. But also we believe that the Lord has made faith what it is and has allowed us to survive these, these decades and is preparing us to go in the future. And I know this sounds like buttering up, but because of you guys. God's people here at Faith are consistent and steady. We see new faces come in. We see some faces leave us. But the testimony, by and large, the reputation that you folks have in the towns that you live in, in the jobs that you work and everything, is that we don't get a lot of wacky reports about our people. We get some. (laughs) And you know who you are. No, we get some. We get some and we deal with those things. But for the most part, We don't get calls all the time. Do you know what your person did, your faither did again? And do you know what these, all this kind of stuff? That doesn't happen a lot here, and it does happen. It happens everywhere. But by and large, the the faithfulness and the responsiveness of God's people, I was saying to somebody in between services that anytime we've laid out a challenge, faith, we've got to do this. This is a service opportunity. You guys show up in droves, either with cash or with gifts or with, um, I almost said strategery because that was the old George W. Bush uh, line, strategery. But, um, you know, you show up with your with yourselves, and so we've appreciated that. We believe all of those things will continue. So therefore, the identity that we have in our building should matter very little to us. It's a tool that we use. It's a thing we can enjoy. And right now, it's weird for me to even say these things because my brain has been so wrapped up in building things because we've been renovating and we've been improving and stuff that it's hard for me to even get those words to come out of my mouth. It shouldn't be about our building. It's just consumed my life for the last couple of weeks, especially. But the reality is, is the church will always be the people of God, hopefully moving behind faithful leadership, consistent leadership, but still being about the people of God being the church where God has called the people to be. All of that's to say we have you know, orchestrated this elaborate hoax 
probably not that elaborate. He was like, I saw right through it all along. We're not moving the physical location of Faith Evangelical Free Church, but we believe so heavily in the point that I'm about to make that we decided to stick our necks out there and invest in the metaphor, if you will, that this church is being called to move out. This church is called to get beyond the walls, to get beyond the comfort of what we have here on KMD and do the next thing that God's calling us to. And we're not just laying this out like it's some elaborate sermon illustration and then next week we go on to something else. We really do believe that this is a pivotal moment in the future of faith and we really want to challenge you on it this morning. And we hope that we communicate it clearly. We want you to be on board with us for all the reasons that I just stated. The leadership of faith, elders, pastors, other staff, small group leaders, other ministry team leaders, the people that you see wearing t-shirts this morning have been praying about one particular verse over the last couple of weeks and over the last couple of months even. And we find that in James 2.26 where James tells us, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So we want to focus on this passage for the next, are you ready for this, 12 months. We want to be a church that can claim absolute belief in that verse. That we believe that just like a lifeless body has let its spirit depart, so would our faith have departed if we do not get behind what we say we believe with activity. Now, we don't believe that this is an epidemic. We don't think that faith isn't doing anything. But we believe that the Lord is calling us to do what he's going to show us uh, here in, uh, in hopefully the next half an hour or so. And then get behind that. I want to quickly just read this passage of scripture. And hopefully over the next couple of months we'll be able to come back to it in various ways. So I'm not really expositing this passage. I'm not slowing us down to break out phrases and other things. I think for the most part, this is a very readable passage that has a lot of application on the surface. I'm counting on that this morning as we read through it. And then, like I said, over the next couple of months, we'll revisit this. James 2, beginning in verse 14, James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself or a concept that lives in isolation. I have faith. Just not quite enough to get off the couch and do something about it. How about this? Lord, you get up there and you have your cosmic chalkboard and you check off every time I'm moved by something that needs my attention and I feel badly about it. In other words, if God were up there just chalking it off and I saw that commercial for the starving children or I saw the, the, uh, the single mom who can't clothe her children, I saw those things and I said, man... Someone should really do something about that. It's a shame. It's an offense that they'd have to live like that. Man, it's, it's, it's unacceptable that we'd have to go through life in a world with all this wealth and someone not do something about that. And that's where the statement ends. James is saying that I am calling you to deny this, this false faith of empty sentiment. There's plenty of empty sentiment out there. 
I feel badly about that. God, I want you to chalk up points for me every time my heartstring is pulled. That's not what God is keeping track of if he even had a cosmic chalkboard. Instead, what God is looking for is what does that produce in you to do? I feel terribly about that, Lord. Oh, really? So what's next? The world is loaded with empty sentiment. In fact, we're supposed to applaud everyone that feels bad about a thing, aren't we? Every time a Hollywood actor or something gets up and rails against the injustices and stuff, we're supposed to be, well, that person's compassionate. Then the reality comes with how are they really doing with their resources? How are they really doing with their time? If nobody had a camera in their face, would they still have done it? There's plenty of empty, empty sentiment out there. Let it not be so with the, with the, with the uh, people of faith. James continues, he says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and that's a great starting point. You do well with this. You're, you're, you're intellectually right where God wants you. You've already accepted the fact that God is real. He is who he says he is. He's a triune Godhead. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he is one. One in mission, one in purpose, one in love. That's awesome. Did you know that you are also in league with the very legions of hell? He says you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder at that knowledge. Why? Because they see it right before their eyes. They are faced every single day with the defeat that the Son of God gives them because of his power, because of his might, because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So big deal that we've come to that mental conclusion. And yet in our culture, even in our church culture, yes, we rest for weeks, for months, for years on the fact that, hey, I'm not antagonistic to Christian stuff. I think what you're doing is great, or I check in, I love that church, I go, I show up, I do my thing, i got nothing against Jesus. Jesus is just all right with me. I'm sorry, I had to do that. I told you I was feeling old today. I had to do some Doobie Brothers just to prove it. <sighs> Anywho. So again... We don't get any credit. James isn't patting us on the back. He says, you have your heartstrings tugged. On the emotional side of things, great. You feel things about the injustices. On the intellectual side, great. You acknowledge that God is who he says he is, that you say that the scriptures are real. All of those things are empty, empty worthless, and vain if they do not produce in us an action, a next step, a getting off of the couch to do the next thing. He says, I want to just strengthen the point here with an illustration, someone we all respect, and even his readers of his day were like, hey, you don't mess with Abraham. So he says, all right, this is how I'm going to prove it. Verse 21, he says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? We all evangelically express a hiccup here. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works... Faith was perfected. That word perfected should ring something in your ears if you've been with us as we've gone through James. Perfection means maturing or being proven or being expressed outwardly now that Abraham's faith was being per per perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness or it was accounted to him. It was put in his account 
that that's what righteousness looks like, that obedience. And he was called the friend of God. He, he digs it even deeper and he says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, I'm not expositing today. I would love to take some more time and we wrestle with the nuances of all of this. But it is important to stop here and say, okay, as evangelicals, as those of us that believe that God's word is relevant for today, that is God breathed, it is written by him. And those of us that believe the scriptures are current for today, we have a bit of a hiccup when we start talking about works and how they mingle with faith because we don't want to rob God of any credit of the, of the saving work that he's done for us. We truly believe that apart from God's moving by his command to send his son and the obedience of his son to come live a perfect life on this earth, lay his life down sacrificially to pay for our sins that we were born in. And then once we were born in as our starting point, we just started committing habitually right up until today. And Jesus still out of his compassion obeyed his father and died for our sins. And save those of us that would humble ourselves and receive that payment and ask him to be Lord of our lives. And so we believe that Jesus did that and far be it from us. We do not want to take any credit from God for doing that amazing work. So James is sort of like stirring the pot here a little bit when he says, don't you see that this justification is actually been made surer or made stronger or proven by the deeds of the person claiming to have faith. I'd put it this way. The proof of your salvation depends on your performance. And I use that word very carefully, that the proof of your salvation depends on performance. Does your salvation depend on your performance? No. Even Paul says, faith is not a thing of our works. It is a gift of God. Therefore, none of us can even brag about even coming to him because he did it all. So we believe that. But the proof of it, how it works out, how it shows up, that comes through obedience. That obedience, what James is saying here, is that you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. That obedience, acting out what we say we believe, sets us straight before all those that are looking, saying, oh, I guess they mean what they say they believe. I guess they're living it out. So that justification brings us right side up to the margin, not positionally because the Lord Jesus does all that. He's justified us by his grace. He makes us right with the, with the grace and the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ that's applied to us. But you and I don't really know what's going on until we see it living out, do we? That's why we do baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of the change that's happened before. We could have baptisms all be private. We could say, hey, go dunk yourself. I did that, funny enough, when I was nine years old. I was getting baptized, and I jumped into the YMCA pool and went right underneath. And just, It was such a letdown after that. My head was already wet. And everything. Anyway, I digress. Just trying to see if you're awake. And you, you're not, are you? Your response is, no, we're awake. Just say something funny. All right. But this is the justification that James is telling us. We live it out. Others see it. We declare it and we are, we are made right or we are perfected or matured based on our obedience. 
Now, as we've been getting ready for what I, what I, my word for this, I guess, is a campaign, but what, what we've calling, what we're calling our focus for the next 12 months, this, this tagline, if you will, of moving to 750, I've had some time to just think about what do I really think this means? And if I'm going to communicate this, you know, I, I want it to be something that's coming from the heart. Where is it coming from and everything? God settled for me just a, a real simple statement. This isn't going to work punctually on the screen, so those of you that are grammar police, please forgive me. I know I'm going to start seeing some weird twitching going on and stuff, but here's the conclusion that I'm coming to as we launch this, and I, I really want you to hear us communicate this as a leadership, that God saves people. The most basic statement you'll hear, you'll hear all day if you believe the word of God, I know that. But the reason why it's important for me to break this down is because we do believe that any good work that the church is able to produce comes from above. We believe that God is the author of, of mission. God is the author of results. He's the author of all of those things that churches love to take credit for because they're cool or they're trendy or they're this and that. If God is doing the thing, then it's up to him to receive all the credit. He can, he can begin it and end it because he's God. So we believe that God is the one that's doing the work. And when I say saves, the reason why I want to emphasize just that word alone is because we believe the work is eternal. There's lots of things we can do to impress ourselves on this earth and think we're all cool and we did a great job and this and that. But what we're after is the eternal work that only God can do. We want to see hearts and lives changed and transformed, people discipled to grow up and mature in that faith so that the results are not something that we necessarily reap here, but they are locked in and secured for all of eternity. And then the last word in this sentence is people. And uh, that, again, is a very obvious conclusion of all of this. And so we'd be like, yeah, duh, we're not saving dogs and cats. Well, I was going to say cats, but we don't even want to bother with cats. So um, dogs might be a worthwhile answer. I lost, what, 75% of you? Do I need to take a poll? How many of you are cat people? Now we're moving out. Okay. But we're here to save people. That's what the Lord does. He saves people. And I know that sounds obvious on the surface, but here's what I mean by this. God saves a person where they are. We've heard the old expression for many years. God loves you enough to save you where you are, but loves you too much to let you stay that way. But there's a reality to this that God has saved you because he knows who you are, where you're coming from. And he said, I can work with that. My grace is sufficient for any sin. My ability to turn a heart around is bigger than anything you could ever realize. And so I know what I'm getting into with fill in the name. I know what I'm getting into with this person and I'm going to save them and I'm going to lead them along. I'm going to grow them. He knows what he's working with is what I'm getting at. But we usually look at the fact that he saves mankind in kind of a negative way, which, which it is because we carried a lot of sin baggage to the table. But the reality is he created in us with a lot of things that he didn't just wipe away the moment he saved us. God made us in his image. We think in a lot of ways because of the way that he created us. We see the world in a lot of the ways because of the way he created us. And so that helped me wrestle with this concept that we're pitching to you, I guess, for lack of a better term this morning, is because I wanted us to understand that we believe that God is the author of eternal work that is going to use real people that have to do real things. We have real schedules. We need real motivations. We need all of these things. We, he knows who he's dealing with. 
So sometimes we look down at ourselves. Well, if it's right to do, I shouldn't need a card to tell me that. If it's right to do, shouldn't we have to be on a t-shirt? I get all that. I feel the same way about that. But the reality is, is I think I'm a better husband because I hang out with good husbands. I think um, I am a, a better um, saver if I happen to catch a radio program in my car that somebody's talking about good money tips and everything. And it just kind of motivates me like, you know what? I have been a little lax this week. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pass on this one thing and I'm going to save this. I'm going to be smarter. I get motivated by some of these good principles around me. You know, perhaps I'm a better father because I've had a good example or I've seen somebody do it before me or something like that. I am happy to admit to you that I am a fragile person who needs a lot of these external motivations to do the right next thing. And I think you're probably there too. Sometimes when we come to the church, we, we have a tendency to be like, yeah, but let's not do the external motivation thing. That's just a little tacky, and the results are all up to God anyway and stuff. We're okay with measuring our checking accounts. We're okay with, with measuring our um, success at how many of our kids go to college, or we're, we're okay with measuring all those things, but the minute the church says, let's measure how we're doing in this area of making disciples and reaching the lost, we're like, hey, the results are up to God. Stop counting. So... We're going to tell you we're going to count, and we're okay with that. Hopefully you are too. And the counting to us just represents not being stagnant. It's all we care about. So we came up with a number that represents for us moving forward, but not in a weird sort of like, wow, this will only happen if, if the heavens split open and this giant miracles and everything like that. No, we just came up with a number. The, no one ripped open the corner of our roof like God's done in the past and written on the wall, you shall be a church of 750. It wasn't any of those things. We just said, you know what? 750 people on average, including women and children. I mean, yeah, women and children. Men, you don't count. Men, women, and children. All people. No cats. We would love to see an average of 750 people worshiping here every Sunday. So here's the genius science that goes into that number. We are somewhere around 620 people on average. Um, in the last several years, that represents a slight decline for us. We still, you look around this room, we got a lot of people here. 620 people, not just in Maine, but in New England, is a great-sized church. So are we saying we're unsatisfied with that? Absolutely not. We're very, very blessed to have what we have here and the resources that we have. We're asking the Lord to help us grow the number of what the average church in New England would love to have, 130 people on average. So we don't take that lightly. We'd love to do that in 12 months. But the reason why we keep using the word average is because um, we could do all kinds of gimmicky fun stuff to get lots of people here for a month. How many of you have ever heard of a roundup Sunday? Chad, I know you have. I want to see that hand. Okay, my, my brother in Baptist arms here. We've done roundup Sundays before. This is what a roundup Sunday is, and we can all do this next week if you want. We'll take a vote. You show up in your best cowboy attire, leather chaps, big hats, and a lasso, because we're rounding up the lost, and you're all going to bring a neighbor, and you're going to bring a friend, and we're going to woohoo, we're going to do all that kind of stuff. So sounds like fun, right? Those of you that are here for the first time, you're going, I will never step foot in that church again. Consider me unrounded up. Uh, uh, we could um, raffle away an expensive automobile. We could do something like that. We could do all kinds of gimmicks that might get a bunch of people in here to swell, and then it would be right out like the tide. 
come out as soon as the weather changes or the moon changes or something like that. We don't want to go for swell. We don't want to go for flash. We don't want to go for any of those things. Well, the reason why we're focused on average is because we want discipleship. We want growth. And so we believe that we're going to do that with a, uh, now I'm going to geek out on you, I'm sorry, but the, the management brain of me is going to start, you know, nerding out right before your eyes. But we think we're going to do that with a kind of a three-pronged effort. We're going to pray, we're going to serve, and we're going to reach. The, hopefully the Lord's been doing this with this church for years, and hopefully he'll do it for years to come. But for the next 12 months, we want to dive into praying serving and reaching to see what the Lord has for us on the other end of this. What we believe our job is as leadership is to make each of those stages very clear for all of you to just dive in and say, that's my thing, that's my thing, I'm doing that, and I know when when I'm doing it, I'm committing to that. Help hold me accountable, if you will, but this is what I'm diving into. We're going to do it with prayer, we're going to do it with service, and then we're going to reach out. We want to do this in stages over the next three months to get us started for the next year. This month, this morning, we're going to talk to you about prayer initiatives. You know, churches always want to have people that pray. We have often called prayer meetings. We usually have very good gatherings. We have meaningful time of prayer. We have people that have needs that we need to be praying about. In the past, we've had a prayer chain that went out over the um, the email stuff, and we've had all of these initiatives. All of these things sometimes work in stages. Sometimes they've run their course, all of those things. We offer up five ideas that could very well run their course, that the Lord could say, nice try, we're not going to do this forever. We're fine with that. But these are what our best brains could come up with to share with you to see if we could get you to join us in the efforts. If you want to reach out and get the card that's in the seat in front of you, you haven't done so already, um, if it's not right in front of you, grab the one in front of your neighbor and fight them over it. Just don't tear the terrible part of it. Terrible. I almost said that like Charles Barkley. Anybody know how Charles Barkley says, this is terrible. All right. We're going to go through five items here as quickly as I can. The first is a thing that we're calling focal point. This isn't necessarily something to sign up for, but it's available to everybody in this room that has access to the Internet. We are going to be adding a page on our website simply called focal point. And we've asked Pastor Bill to write us a, a, a statement of focus, a paragraph or a, um, a, almost like a blog format of focus each and every week. This is what we're getting at with this. Um, we've been uh, really blessed as a staff to be led by Pastor Bill in prayer. Um, we, uh, I, I, and I said this before, I wasn't trying to score points, but I don't mind if I do uh, when I say this. Um, I, I never shy away from extra points and in, in, in credit. But uh, one of the things that this staff has always felt like is we have someone who prays for us and our safety and our kids and everything, just like a father would. And, uh, and Pastor Bill is the type that will get woken up in the middle of the night and start praying for you individually if he knows you're going through something or the Lord puts things on his mind and and that sort of thing. He usually comes in the next morning, his eyes are baggy, he's like, the Lord woke me up again, you know, he's, but, but he does it. He's faithful to do it for you. Uh, so that means if you have something to pray about, share it with him and it'll keep him up this week. So go ahead and try that. Let's see how it works. But the reason why we've asked Pastor Bill to lead this effort is because we know that when he says, this is what the Lord's laying on my heart, we'll be able to move forward with confidence. We can share this together as a church 
If you have a small group and you say, boy, we're getting ready to meet, it's Tuesday night or it's Thursday night or something like that, let's go to the website, let's get the latest focal point, let's see if we can use that something to rally around in prayer. Our ministry teams will share it, other groups will share it and stuff. We, we hope that what this creates in our church is hundreds of people joining in unison in prayer together over the things that matter to all of us. It's not necessarily the latest who's sick or any of that. Those things we're still going to pray for. But this idea of focal point is a little bit broader, a bigger umbrella, if you will, about what the Lord might be leading us to as a church and how we can all be praying in that effort. So that's focal point. The next one is a title that we borrowed. We'd heard it somewhere along the way doing all this ministry training stuff years and years ago. But I thought it was a great little phrase. And so we all agree this is what we're going to use for this one. It's called each one reach one. What we want to encourage you to do is to find a neighbor, find a family member, find somebody that all you're going to do, instead of putting all the pressure on yourself to be the perfect explanation of who Jesus is and how they can be saved and all these things, all you're doing is like, Lord, give me a burden for this one person, and I'm going to qualify this within arm's reach. Not your aunt in Arizona, not your former college uh, roommate that you haven't seen in two decades and all those things. You can still pray for those people. Please don't get me wrong. But for the, for the efforts of this exercise, what we think the Lord's leading us to for the next 12 months is to find somebody within arm's reach and have that burden for them and say, Lord, I just want them to show up on my radar screen. Yeah, if you wake me up at three in the morning to pray for them, then okay, I can do that. I'm asking you don't share it with me at 630, but if you do, that's the kind of burden I want for this person. I want them to be on my mind. I want to be praying about them. I want them to find you. And when they find you, I want to be in position to help raise them up in the faith. That's what discipleship really looks like. And I'm absolutely convinced if any of us spent our entire lives just reaching one person and discipling them, That's what makes the kingdom huge. That's what makes the kingdom advance. That's what preserves the church for the generations. We're not going to do one of these. Let's pray for 10 souls next month. Can you guys bring in 10 souls already? 10, 10, here we go. Get 10. I got eight over here, you know. Pray for one and be willing to be faithful for the long term with that person. God, put them on my radar screen. These are things that all of us can do. I mentioned that we're going to be calling our gathering space in the front once it's built and ready, which we're anticipating will be just after VBS and stuff, is we're calling that the hub. So we want to use that space for a weekly morning prayer gathering. We're going to use whatever space we have until then, probably most likely our entryway and stuff. But uh, we're going to have this thing called AM Hub, which is designed, if you will, for those of you that have to get to work by a certain period of time, like if you've got to be at work at 8 or something, we're going to open up the church doors every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pastor Ben's going to lead a time of prayer. He's going to be putting some thought into how that prayer can be engaging. There might be different activities with it and stuff, but we're going to just keep you for 20 minutes so that you can have that time of prayer and that fellowship with other people in the church before you head off to work. So that will begin um, as early as this Thursday at, uh, you sure you want to do this, 7 a.m.? Yeah? It's in print. We've got to do it now. We hurried up and put it in print before he could back out is what we did. All right, I've got to explain this with a lot of detail. I'm sure I'm going to miss something. Please understand that you're going to hear about these things if you give us an email address later and that sort of stuff. We'll be able to spell this out a little clearer right now if you go, oh, I missed that piece or something. We're going to try to make this as clear as possible. Walk 901 is an opportunity that we think is going to be seasonal, unless you like walking in January, 
which I don't advise. But right now we're coming into the time of year where everyone likes to put on their walking sneakers, go out with their spouse, get their friend out, take the kids out, and go for a walk. Now, normally we think about doing that in our own neighborhood, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit broader than that. 901 just stands for 04901. We want to walk Waterville in Winslow, so we're actually putting foot miles all over the place, but while we do it, we're praying for the, the residents of these streets all through the 901 area. Does that make sense? So we have, you might have seen as you came in, but you might have been tripping over U-Haul boxes and stuff. Out on the, the, uh, the, the gray brick wall uh, right near the welcome table is a big map. It's really funny how that map came about. They copied my crease in the page and everything. I got a big pencil mark on my map. They never erased. They just gave it to me in big cardboard. Like, here you go. All the blemishes are this big now, but you don't care about that. Um, that's more of a staff frustration. So we've got this big, this big map up there, and right underneath it, if there are any left from first service, but right underneath it are individual maps of Waterville. What we're asking you to do is to take one of those with you if you want to do this, and find a neighborhood to walk. While you walk that neighborhood, does not have to be your own. In fact, I'd encourage you to not just settle on, well, I did my street. You know, find a place to go. If you're outside of Waterville or Winslow, come join the effort. Drive in, find a place to park, walk the neighborhood. Here's what this isn't. This isn't door to door. This isn't even with the intention of engaging people that are mowing their lawn or all that kind of stuff. We don't want to be that, oh, here they come with the black pants and the white shirts and the ties and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you feeling me, people? You know, put the Adidas on, put a hat on, go out and just walk. And as you're walking, Lord, I pray that the residents of this neighborhood meet you. They encounter you. I pray that the people of my church encounter some of the people in this neighborhood. We want to meet these people at some point in time. We want to minister to them. And we also pray for the enemy to meet resistance based on what's going to happen in this neighborhood. So we want to pray for these meetings. It gives us a focus. So as you're walking, that's what you're praying for. When you've walked that area throughout the week, you're going to come back on a Sunday. And on that board, we'll have a couple of highlighter pens stuck up there or something like that. I just want you to highlight the street or the streets that you've walked. I'm not going to assign neighborhoods or anything. You're just going to take the one and you go like, all right, I just want to cover this area or I live over here or we're going to drive across there. And then eventually if we see some areas aren't getting covered, we'll mention it in an announcement. Hey, guys, we're noticing this corner over here is getting skipped. Anyone want to get that? We're just going to treat it. Some, some of you may bump into each other. You know, you're walking around praying with your eyes closed and whack, you know. It doesn't matter. We're not going to be that slick about it. We just want to figuratively... Pray for the entire town, but we want to do it with literal action, okay? So that's Walk 901. So as you're leaving here this morning, if it's what you want to participate in, really all you have to do is grab one of the folded up maps and then pick a spot and try it this week. By the time you come back here next week, there'll be highlighter pens and you can start marking up the area. The last thing is something that we intend to roll out in October, partly because there's so much that we're rolling out all at once. And it gives us a, a, a chance to do this after the summer and after the back to school, dare I say, um, session is, is happening. So this is, um, uh, we, were, we were talking, the staff was talking, and Pastor Gary says, hey, uh, what about this idea of like, a, uh, like when we have the angel tree, we post all these families or these kids' um, uh, names and, and stuff like that, and we get gifts for them, and people can just randomly grab the one that they're compelled to take and all that stuff. Why don't we do that with prayer? 
And we said, well, that's a dumb idea. You're a youth pastor. Don't ever speak again. Um, and then we got around to admitting that was a great idea. Let's just not give them credit for it. Um, and so we've decided to call it prayer exchange. What we want to do is we want to hear from you guys that, yeah, I want to be a part of this exchange. How it shows up, it probably won't be on a tree. That idea has been taken by Christmas, apparently. But um, it, it might be a board or it might be something like that. But we want to know from you, yes, I want to be part of this. I'm willing for someone to pray for me or my family. But I also want a name in return. I want to be praying for them. And you might pray for those people for a month or two. And then we might say, all right, let's do a switch up and change the board around. What we're hoping generates from this is that as the Lord um, leads you to have a burden for this family or these people, it might not be your neighbors, it may not, they may not even go to the same service as you, you get a heart for other people within your church. You start covering their needs and their victories and everything in prayer. And then maybe that friendship forms, maybe it doesn't. And then we'll switch that up and you have an opportunity to pray for somebody else. So we're calling that the prayer exchange. We'll be rolling that out in the fall. So we'll be looking for that as we, um, as we fine-tune that plan a little bit. So here's what to do next. What we're asking you to do, if we're being true to James chapter 2, James did not tell us to get um, maps on our walls and wear T-shirts and do all the silly things that we're doing this morning, but he did tell us to put our faith into action. As best as we can tell, this is what the Lord's leading this church into, is a new season of dialed-in action. We want to start that with prayer. We do not want to get ahead of the Lord. In fact, the focal point for this week that Pastor Bill's written uh, weaves into that beautifully, that we're asking the Lord to lead first so that we don't get ahead of his efforts and his plans. In fact, that focal point is released on our website now. We, we put that out there this morning. We're going to ask you this morning to commit to the Lord that you will be faithful to just a couple of these activities. You'll notice on the tear-off part of the card, we gave you three lines. Am I right? So we gave you three lines. That's because we wanted you to choose. You know, so many of us, for, for one, I've never met a Christian that feels like they pray enough. All of us kind of go, yeah, I could definitely spend more time in prayer. But then I've also met so many Christians, most in fact, that say for some reason it's the easiest thing in the world to do. I just don't do it well. I don't do it enough. What we want you to be able to say at the end of 12 months is to say, you know what? Last year the Lord threw down a challenge and I accepted. I did a couple of things well this year when it comes to prayer. I didn't do everything they threw out at me. I did a couple more things than I did the year before. We want to see that kind of growth, that kind of progress. We think that's the way that the Lord works with us. So I'm going to ask you to select two, maybe three things at the most that you feel like, you know what, for the most part, I am going to be pretty committed to this. I am going to dial in on this. If I'm saying I'm looking up focal point, then I'm going to say, okay, if I have to set my calendar on my Outlook or something to, to go to the church's website for you know Thursday morning or Wednesday afternoon, whenever it's released or something, then I'm going to go and see what the, the, the topic is that faith is praying about, and I'm going to join in that. And I might go grab a map, and I might walk the streets of my neighborhood, but that's about all I can commit to right now. Or maybe it's other things. Maybe it's, I'm going to wait for this prayer exchange thing because that one's really uh, key to me or it's really important to me. I don't feel like I have to talk myself into being a part of that. Remember, God saves people. We're still being people here who are trying to be more available to what the Lord is leading them to do. So commit to faith that you will be counted on for a success. Here's the easiest thing that you can do. And most of us Mainers, I can say this, I am one. Most of us Mainers, I don't need to fill out a stupid card to be committed to something. 
I do it all the time. Like, you don't need to get my information to know I, I'm serious about this. The Lord's not keeping track and all this kind of, he knows my heart, all that. We get all that. But accountability helps. Knowing that someone is encouraging you, praying for you, sending you tips and all that kind of stuff, that's what the staff wants to do. If you indicate on a card what you intend to commit to, we will keep it on us to follow up with you and to keep you encouraged in it, to find out your progress, to hear stories about how it's going. We want to share those with the rest of the church. So please sign on the card. Tear off the thing. When you're heading out through these double doors, there'll be a big box open like a mouth. Just throw your card in there. And then starting this week, we'll assemble some email lists and things like that to keep you on track. And then talk it up with your fellow faithers. Talk it up with your friends. You know, we really stuck our necks out there by putting it on the big sign. So wait till I get my hair cut and all that stuff. So where are you guys moving to and everything? Here's what we've been saying in the few days that it's been up and stuff is just... Uh, our church is being called to get out into our community. And that's what that message is all about. So just by the fact that we've put that out on the sign is already giving many of you a wide open opportunity to respond to what God's doing here. Sorry if I'm putting you in hot water, but at the same time, it gives you an opportunity to think ahead. What's my response going to be? Are people talking about my church so they want to know where this is going? You have an opportunity to respond So be ready to talk it up. Talk to your other faithers. Which ones are you picking? What are you getting involved in? Do you guys want to walk the neighborhood together? Do all that kind of stuff. And let's move and grow in this together. Let's go to 750 if that's what the Lord has for us. But let's set our sights on new growth, new people coming in saying, we haven't met Jesus before. We we need a place to worship. We want to gather with you guys. We hear great things. We want to be a part of it. Let's do that together. Would you stand and join me as we close out our time in prayer? And those of you parents with kids, please be standing. Uh, Those of you parents with kids, Miss Janet is giving out things along these same lines. So good luck explaining to kids why we're not moving, but we are. Because you know how metaphoric kids love to be, right? So, all right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. Thank you, Lord, for saving us to begin with. God, the fact that we can even talk about these things is not by human design. In our flesh, we do not care about growing your church. In our flesh, we don't care about stretching out of our comfort zone. So the fact that we're engaged in this and we're entertaining this, Lord, we trust is a movement of your spirit. So, Lord, help us to do the things that are genuine. Help us to do the things that are led by your word. Help us, Lord, to avoid the things that get uh, a little crazy or off kilter. But, Lord, most importantly, help us to share your word with those that need it. We want to be led in prayer. We want to be people of prayer. God, help us to engage and dial in in new and exciting ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.